Hi everybody, we're back. After six weeks or so of a hiatus in which Mama Murph went on two vacations and I moved into an apartment and finally get to say I officially live in Chicago, we are back with the next set of episodes. It seemed a fitting time for our hiatus as we are refocusing our lens. We are moving, for a time, out of Chicago and away from my mom's side of the family. My paternal side of the family finally appears on the scene. I'm Teresa Murphy, and welcome back to Chicago Bound, an opportunity for me to explore my family's personal stories within the context of history. They were bound to Immigrants Chicago, escaping to Syracuse, from Ireland, and Bridgeport, England, Germany, Wayne, Nebraska, Scotland, looking to live Sweden. the American dream. They were Chicago Bound. As I said, this week we're finally getting into stories from my paternal side of the family. My mom's ancestors arrived starting in the 1830s. It took another 20 years for my father's ancestors to begin arriving in the U.S. These families bring us into some of the biggest professions in the later half of the 1800s, mining and the railroad. Mining was a large industry in the country in the 1800s, and one that we might not otherwise have explored if we had stayed in the immediate Chicagoland vicinity. Mining is defined as the extraction of valuable materials and other geological materials from the earth. It has been a practice for at least 43,000 years, with the oldest known mine on record dating back to the Stone Age. Mining can be seen in many ancient cultures, including Egypt, Greece, and Rome. The industry of mining shifted in the Middle Ages, with the 1600s seeing many further developments into the mining you typically see depicted such as in shows like Poldark. Underground mining as a profession was extremely dangerous. Men would descend into tunnels carved in the earth and dig to find the ore. This underground mining came with the possibility of tunnel collapse or toxic gas escaping into the tunnel. Just as James Maloney sent a dog down in his well to check for carbon monoxide, miners beginning in the 1890s would bring a canary in a cage into the mine with them to detect gas before it was too late to escape. By the middle of the 1800s, mining in England was declining, but it was just picking up steam in the United States. The California Gold Rush, which began in 1848, is probably the most famous of the U.S. mining ventures of the 1800s, leading to statehood for California two short years later, thanks to the population influx. More than 300,000 people arrived in California over the course of the gold rush, from 1848 to 1855. They believed it would be an easy way for them to become rich, and the image of men and women panning for gold is now inexorably tied with the state and the era. Prospectors and mining towns littered the American West in the period following the 1849 gold rush, with mining booms of gold and silver occurring in California, Colorado, and Nevada, among other states. But gold and silver weren't the only things being mined at the time. Throughout the 1800s, mining of coal, copper, zinc, and lead contributed to the continuing industrial revolution that was occurring in the East, even as westward expansion continued to push the borders west. I'm excited this week to be stepping out of Chicago slightly, as most of these ancestors never lived in Chicago. Surprisingly, though, the next few sets of family members will live in the Midwest. They are establishing the roots 
for people that I knew, including my paternal grandmother, to come to Chicago nearly a century in the future. So let's get into it. Welcome to Chicago Bound. We have two families to explore today, the McNillis family and the James family. This week, we're talking about my first ancestors who weren't Irish. Although I'm 50% Irish, both on my father's side and on my mother's side, my ancestors did come from a number of other countries, namely England, Scotland, Sweden, and Germany. Today, we'll be delving into some of the English and possibly Scottish ancestors. These are ancestors on my paternal grandmother, Helen Harrington Murphy's side of the family. Richard James and Eliza Williams. So this would be your grandma Murphy. So Helen Harrington Murphy's mother's grandparents. Richard James was born in Cornwall, England in 1819. Cornwall, England. Mining was important in the Cornish economy from the high Middle Ages and expanded greatly in the 19th century when rich copper mines were in production. In the mid-19th century, tin and copper mines entered a period of decline and china and clay extracts became more important. So that's what was going on when they left England in, in the town where I think they're from. He married Eliza Williams in November of 1847. Although Richard's records state he was born in England, there seems to be some evidence that he came from Cornwall. I have a marriage record between a Richard James son of Richard James and Eliza Williams, daughter of Edward Williams, married on November 16th, 1847 in Lux, Lou, in Cornwall, England. The names are both exactly correct, and the timing is about 13 months prior to their first child being born. There's also a paragraph from History of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, published by the Western Historic Company of Chicago, 1883, related to a Mr. John E. James and a Captain Thomas D. James, both miners from Cornwall, who ended up in Rockland, Michigan, where our James family ended up in 1870. They could be brothers, nephews, cousins, uncles, or some other relatives. It's a good starting point for further research. After their marriage, Richard and Eliza James immigrated from England to Canada. Then Sarnia the township was surveyed in 1829, and in the early 1830s, a wave of Scottish immigrants settled in the area. Port Sarnia expanded in the 19th century, and on June 19, 1856, the name was changed from Port Sarnia to Sarnia. There were about a 1,000 inhabitants. The important lumber industry was based on the wealth of the virgin timber in the area at the time around the Great Lakes. Lumber was in high demand for the big cities like Chicago and Detroit, and there was a discovery of oil nearby in 1858, and the Great Western Railway arrived also in 1858, and a different railroad, Grand Trunk Railroad, in 1859, and that all stimulated the growth of the area. There, they had the first six of their nine children. Before they arrived in Rockland, Michigan, the family settled in Sarnia, Ontario, Canada, where the first six of their nine children were born. I have an 1861 census of Canada stating that Richard was born in 1819 in England, was 42 years old, and married his wife, not named, only listed as a Mrs. James. He was a farmer, and his religion was Wesleyan Methodist. The family lived in a one-story single-family log dwelling. Their children were Edward, 
possibly named after the maternal grandfather, age 14, Emily or Emma, 11, Elizabeth, 8, John, who would be your direct ancestor, age 5, Rachel, age 4, and Richard, age 2. When the next census finds the family in Michigan, likely having moved sometime between the Canadian census in January 1861 and the birth of their next child in April of 1861, Richard is a minor. The only other information I have on Richard is a 1870 U.S. census in Rockland, Michigan, where his occupation is a minor, and he's 48. Listed along with Richard are his wife, Eliza, 49, and their Canadian-born children, Edward, 21, Elizabeth, 16, John, 14, Rachel, 13, Richard, 12, and their Michigan-born children, Joseph, 9, Martha, 6, and Thomas, 3. The second oldest, a daughter, Emma, lived in the same town with her husband, whose name was William Knoll, and their daughters, Mary and Carrie. From these three pieces of information, we can guess that Richard and Eliza immigrated from England between their marriage in November of 1847 and December of 1848 when their first child was born. They also appear to have moved from Sarnia between January 13th 1861, which was a date of the 1861 Canadian census, and the birth of Joseph, also in 1861. I have one record that says April, so that is a short window of opportunity when they moved, but it could be any time in 1861. While it appears from the Canadian census record that Richard was a farmer in Canada, it seems that mining was in his blood. By the 1870s, they had moved to Rockland, Michigan, and that's the 1870 census I have. So the Rockland mine opened in 1847, and the settlements named Rosedale was laid out by the Minnesota Mining Company in 1858. Roseland and two other settlements, Williamsburg and Webster, were consolidated into Rockland in 1864. And our family, or your family, was there in the 1870s. So that's, the mining was there, and, and he was a miner. The family eventually moved to Florence County, Wisconsin, where the sons followed in their father's footsteps and at various times were also minors. By 1880, the kids had spread out to different areas, all in the Upper Peninsula, whereas in 1870, they were all in the same place. By 1880, they were in a few different places. And some of these places were Ishpeming, Iron Mountain, Ironwood, and Escanaba but they're all in the Upper Peninsula. There were many copper mines in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Richard was most likely a miner for the Rockland Mining Company, which was organized in 1853 in Rockland in Ontonago County, Michigan. Although it changed hands when the company was shut down, the mine continued operation until 1880. It was primarily a copper mine, producing 5.8 million pounds of refined copper during its almost 30 years of operation. It also produced silver and prenonite crystals. So Ishpeming had a bunch of different mines, Superior Iron Company, Cleveland Iron Mining. Oh, then there were a couple railroads, Iron Mountain Railroad, New York Mine and Peninsula Railroad, and then the Central and Northwestern Railway from Escanaba to Fort Howard, which is Green Bay. So now it was possible to travel from Ishpeming to Chicago. And then Iron Mountain... That's where that Florence County is, and that's where I believe Eliza died, and a few of her children were living at this time. 
It began as a mining city adjacent to the Chaplin Iron Mine. Chaplin Mine steam pump engine, Cornish pump, was patterned after one used in Cornwell in the deep tin mines. So that's what Iron Mountain is famous for. And soon after this area was settled, the news of riches brought the railroad. First the Milwaukee Road and then the Chicago Northwestern and the Wisconsin and Michigan. Then there's Ironwood, another mining town, originally a mining town. Iron ore was found in the area in the 1870s, and the arrival of the railroad in the 1880s extended the development of the area. Mining and lumber attracted newcomers from the U.S. and European countries. And then Escanaba, and that's where your ancestor is in 1880, in Escanaba. And that served as an important shipping point for the iron ore to the Great Lake ports, especially Chicago and northern Indiana. As shipping increased, a lighthouse was needed, and it was completed in 1868. I've not been able to find an 1880 census for the family, but an 1885 Wisconsin state census lists Eliza James as a head of a household in Ishpeming with three unnamed males, perhaps her sons. My best guess is that it was John, Joseph, and Thomas, and one female, which would be herself. This shows that Richard most likely had died prior to 1885. I have two leads on a death record for a Richard James, one in 1872 and one in 1877 in Florence County, Wisconsin. Just as in other examples of my early female ancestors, we do not have as much information about Eliza Williams as we do about Richard James. She was born most likely in England, though it is possible she was born elsewhere in the United Kingdom. From some later census records, it can be deduced that she was a year older than her husband, perhaps being born in 1818. Most records I have on Eliza, once referred to as Elizabeth or Liza, show she was born in England, but a few census and death records of her children show other birthplaces a few of them show Scotland, and one of them shows Wales. I have a strong lead on her death, most likely May 4th, 1897, in Florence County, Wisconsin. There is an Eliza Williams dying on that date. Then the parents, Richard and Eliza, had died out. Of course, we're still missing the 1890 census, but I have other records in the 1890s, mostly where your ancestor and his siblings, their children were born in the 1890s. So I have information because I can kind of pinpoint where they were living by the births of their children. So other places that they end up in 1890 and beyond are Calumet, once the center of the mining industry in the Upper Peninsula, also known as Red Jacket. The copper mines were particularly rich, producing more than half of the U.S. copper from 1871 to 1900. In addition to copper and smelting, the region supported the dairy industry and truck farming. And then from Upper Peninsula, some of the people moved to Minnesota, including your grandmother's parents. So some of the cities were Everleth. The village of Everleth was patterned in 1893, named after Edwin Everleth, a prominent employee of the timber company in the area and iron ore was discovered in 1895 in the area. And Hibbing, the city was built on the rich ore in the iron range. At the edge of town, there was an open pit iron mine. And then Duluth, a port city on Lake Superior, 
and that is where your grandmother was born. So that, now I'll go back to your great-grandfather and his siblings, now that I've mentioned that. So the oldest son was a teamster in 1870 in Rockland and a miner in 1880 in Ishpeming. And sometime between 1896 and 1900, he moved to Joliet, Illinois. And between 1900 and his death in 1928, he worked in the steel industry as a day laborer, water tender, and handyman. The second child was Emma, and her husband was William Noel, and he was from Cornwall, England, where his father was a miner. Per the census in 1870 in Rockland, Michigan, and in 1880 in Marionette, Wisconsin, William was a minor. He died in 1898. There is an online note stating it was due to complications from a mining accident, pneumonia, and a hemorrhaged lung. The next child was Elizabeth and her husband, John Couch. I don't have him in any censuses, and I don't, I have a few newspaper paragraphs indicating that he was a minor in the 1890s. So on January 10th, 1891, in, in a newspaper article, John Couch a former night captain at the Florence, Wisconsin mine, and later the Monitor mine in this district, is still in Florence, his home, where he is recovering from his illness. Another newspaper note on this man, husband to Elizabeth, October 3rd, 1891, Captain John G. Couch has resigned that position in the Monitor mine and will probably return to Florence. His successor at the mine has not yet been determined. A city directory in 1893 lists him as a miner in Ironwood, Michigan. And on September 19, 1896, John Couch left Tuesday for British Columbia, where he is expected to find work in the mines in Roseland. And finally, on November 14, 1896, a somber paragraph, Death Among Children. The Silent Reaper has been active among the young ch children of Ironwood during the past week. Most of the deaths are due to bronchitis. Arthur, the 13-year-old son of John Couch, died on Friday after a brief illness. The father left a short time ago for Roseland, British Columbia, where he is working in the mines. Hence, the circumstances are especially sad. So then we move, the next child would be your great-great-grandfather, John James. And he's listed from 1900 to 1920 in the same area, either Calumet or Red Jacket in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. In 1900, he is listed as a day laborer. In 1910, as a foreman in the railroad industry. And in 1920, as an inspector for a steam railroad industry. So he was involved, not in the mines, though it looks like a lot of his relatives were, but in the railroad. And then Rachel's husband, Rachel was the next child in this family, and her husband, Richard Cruz, was not a miner. His father had been listed as a shoemaker in the 1870 census, and William Jr., Rachel's husband, is listed in 1870, 1910, and 1920 as a cigar maker. Richard James Jr. seems to have disappeared, appearing as a two-year-old in the Canadian census of 1861 and a 12-year-old in Rockland in 1870. I will try to determine if either of the Richard James who died in the 1870s in Ishpeming is this Richard James. So it could have been both the father and the son both dying, but I'm, I think I need to go up there and try and find this information out. Joseph James is listed as a railroad fireman in the 1900 census in Iron Mountain, Michigan. In 1910, he's a locomotive engineer in Hibbing, Minnesota. 
1920, he is listed as a laborer in iron mine in Hibbing. The next child is Martha, and her husband is listed as a saloon keeper in 1900, as lumbering in 1910, and as a farmer in 1920. And their final child, Thomas James, is listed as a day laborer in Calumet in 1900, a conductor in a steam railroad industry in 1920 in Duluth, and in 1930 as a yardsman in steam railway industry in Duluth. So that is what I have on your grandma Murphy's mother's grandparents. And then I have, so that would be John, and John married Ellen McNillis. So then I would move to the McNillis family. So the James family arrived in North America from Cornwall, England. They lived first in Canada, then moved to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and finally settled just across the border in Wisconsin, only one state away from where their descendants would end up in the 1950s. But there were a whole lot of things that needed to happen before their descendants arrived in Chicago, including my ancestor John James marrying his future wife, Ellen McNillis. With a name like McNellis, it should be obvious that we're back to discussing Irish ancestors. Ellen, or Nellie McNellis, was born to Catherine Carr and Dennis McNellis in 1858. So Dennis McNellis and Catherine Carr. So their daughter, Ellen McNellis, sometimes listed as Helen, or Nellie. All those three names are interchangeable pretty much. Different censuses have different names for every Ellen I know. So their daughter, Ellen, married John James. So this is where this family comes from. So this is another Irish relative. We'll start with that. Catherine Carr McNillis was born in Donegal, or possibly Derry, Ireland, in 1824. Dennis McNillis was born in Donegal, Ireland. When examining my DNA results, I am closely linked to the Donegal area of Ireland. There is not much information about Ellen McNellis's parents beyond the fact that they were illiterate. They lived for a time in Cass, Schuylkill, Pennsylvania, where all of their children were born. At that time, Dennis was also a miner, likely working in a coal mine. There are a few records, only two census records in the 1860s and the 1870s for this couple and only one death record. So I have to look kind of other places to figure out what's going on with them. So in 1860... The census lists Dennis, Catherine, and their four daughters, Rosemary, Ellen, Ellen, who is your direct ancestor, and Catherine. The daughters are six, four, two, and eight months. Ellen or Nellie, being your dad's great-great-grandmother, we learn that Dennis and Catherine were born in Ireland. Dennis was a minor, and they lived in Kaz, Troykill, Pennsylvania. Neither Dennis nor Catherine can read or write. Sometime after 1863, the family moved to West Depeer, Brown County, Wisconsin, just outside of Green Bay. The next bit of information I have is a 1870 census listing Dennis, his wife Catherine, their children Rose 16, Mary 14, Ellen 12, that's your direct ancestor, Catherine 10, and Daniel 7. Again, the census says that uh, both Dennis and Catherine were born in Ireland and cannot read or write. Dennis is now a laborer, and they are living in West DePier, Brown County, Wisconsin, just outside Green Bay. All the children are listed as born in Pennsylvania, so that means, since the youngest son is 7, that the family was in Pennsylvania 
at least until 1863. And there's a bit of information that indicates that Daniel, their only son, died in 1870 at the age of 12. Years ago, a relative on this side of the family wrote a letter to your grandma Murphy's, so Helen's sister, your, your dad's aunt Nancy. So from this 1988 letter from John DeLong, a descendant of Rose McNillis, the eldest daughter of Dennis and Catherine, like I said to your grandmother's sister, your Aunt Nancy, he came up with these theories, and then I kind of studied them and kind of agree with a lot of his theories. This is John DeLong speaking. I have arrived at several conclusions from my research this year. Carr's, Doherty's, McNillis's, and McHugh's families are all interrelated here in the U.S., and probably in Ireland. They came over in a typical Irish immigration pattern with one family coming first and helping those behind. Many have lived in eastern Pennsylvania prior to moving to either Indiana or Wisconsin. Those in Wisconsin tended to immigrate north to Michigan and Minnesota, and we noticed this on the other side of the family. And lastly, his conclusion was they tended to work for the railroads, in particular the Chicago and Northwestern. And it says, all indications are that the McNillis family comes from Donegal. The surnames of uh, Carr, Doherty, and McHugh's are also prevalent in Donegal. Furthermore, many of the coal miners in uh, Pennsylvania County that Schultz came from Donegal. Some stated in the interviews that the cars were from Derry. So there's a little discrepancy there. So I looked recently, and there are over 30 records of marriages or births between McNillis's and Carr's, and that's what we've got here, Dennis McNillis and Catherine Carr as your ancestors. 11 of them are in Ireland, 12 in Pennsylvania, and then the others are in Missouri, Indiana, Cook County, and these records are from 1849 to 1966. So the, the, the McNillis's and the Carr's married each other over a long period of time. There are seven McHughes and cars, seven McNillises and cars from 1879 to 1938, four in Ireland and four in Indiana and a couple in Pennsylvania and Michigan. So you can see this pattern of the families were together in Ireland and then when they come here, like new relatives come over and then they, they marry each other. In 1875, I have a Wisconsin census showing Dennis McNillis with Neil McNillis, most likely brothers next door to each other. On the other side of Dennis, the records show that there's a Charles Carr. Pretty sure that this is Dennis's wife's brother. So Catherine Carr's McNillis's brother. And next to Charles is the Ulick Stanton family, Dennis and Carr's eldest daughter's family. So you've got like right in a row, our ancestor, Dennis, and you've got his brother on one side, his brother-in-law on the other side, and then next to the brother-in-law is his daughter and her husband. So they like they're all in the same page on one census in this 1875 Wisconsin census. So that's kind of like they did really stick together. In the 1880s, there's no record of Dennis and Catherine in 1880, but their daughter Rose McNillis Stanton and her family are still next door to her uncle, maternal uncle, Charles Carr, and also next door to her paternal uncle, Neil McNillis. So she's, she's still surrounded by family, even though her parents have moved elsewhere. I, I don't know where they are. Also notice is that Charles's mother-in-law is a Mary McNillis. So he, his brother-in-law is, and his mother-in-law is, they're both McNillises. And Neil was listed as a laborer, like his brother Dennis, and Charles was listed as a teamster.
most of the family eventually relocated to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. In 1880, two of the four daughters of Dennis and Catherine are now in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And by 1885, three of the four are there. And by 1895, all of them are there, as are their parents. Eventually, two remained in Michigan. One goes to Duluth. That's your ancestor. And one comes to Chicago. And Duluth and Chicago are both places where your grandmother lived. Let me go over some of the jobs of some of these people. So Dennis McNillis in 1860 was a miner in Pennsylvania and a laborer in Wisconsin in 1870. The second daughter, her first husband, there's no record. Her second husband was a miller in a grain industry and then a laborer and a shoemaker. And then this Mary McNillis's third husband, Tom Robbins, was a laborer also in the Upper Peninsula. Rose McNillis had a husband working in the furnace. And then there, on her second husband, there was no record. And Catherine's husband, first husband, was a, a railroad brakeman. And her second husband was a barber. So that's that. So let's look at the McNillis and Cars, some of the places where they were. So the Schildkill, Pennsylvania, is uh, then called Stone Call, was discovered near Pottsville in 1790. And so that would have been what they were mining. So the coal mining firms were in this area, which is probably what brought yeah numerous jobs in the mining industry, was the catalyst for mass migration to this area from the British Isles and Europe. As the mines became more numerous, they needed, they needed more labor. And then eventually the railroad came to the area. But then the family eventually moved to De Pere Bridge, Wisconsin, over the Fox River. By 1850, dams on the Fox River powered three sawmills, two lathe mills, and one flour mill. Residents grew wheat, corn, oats, barley, potatoes, and rye in the surrounding agricultural fields. The forests of ash, hickory, white pine, elm, oak, and maple in the area also processed into lumber and paper. The railroads and Lake Michigan steamers exported these products. And then the other places these families lived were the Calumet area, Upper Peninsula, and Escanaba. So they moved from Pennsylvania to Wisconsin and then to the Upper Peninsula, and that's where the couple met. So it would have been Ellen McNillis, daughter of Dennis McNillis and Catherine Carr, and John James, son of Richard James and Eliza Williams. Now, interestingly, I said that most of these ancestors would not arrive in Chicago, but John and Nellie James actually ended up being Chicago-bound years before my grandmother, their direct descendant. While their daughter, Frances James, married Patrick Harrington and moved to Duluth, which is the place that I associate with my grandma, Murphy, Frances's parents and sister, Theo, eventually ended up in Chicago. So although it took until my grandma and grandpa, Murphy, or my dad's side of the family to truly settle themselves in Chicago, my dad's mother's side of the family was Chicago-bound decades earlier. For the next couple of episodes, we will continue to focus on my father's side of the family, a side of the family that took a little bit longer and had a few pit stops We are going to focus on the Civil War and railroads and also on a few cities in the South. So I can't wait for you to join me as we take a detour to our ultimate destination, Chicago.
This has been Chicago Bound.